Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Christian Lewis. Today, we're talking fuck you songs in honor of the inaugural and the general state of brotherhood in America. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, rate and review us on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook for more info. Now let's get to fuck you songs. Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and tonight I am here with Christian Lewis. It's a Brother, Brother podcast tonight. Um, Christian, i got to ask you something. I've been feeling a little bit of tension in the air lately. You? You know, it's funny you should say that, Wyndham. I've also been noticing some tension in the air. It's like a, an unusually hostile environment, I would say, at the moment. What, uh, what, what do you do about something like that? I mean, how do you express yourself? Well, um, I'm a, a person of few words outside of this podcast, so sometimes all I can really muster up is a big fuck you to the world. And that's where we are tonight. Fuck you songs. Um, and and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of... Uh, for uh, We're actually breaking it down into a handful of categories tonight. Uh, we've got fuck you general, um, fuck you friend, fuck you girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse... Fuck you, girlfriend, wife, sensitive guy edition, and fuck you, bandmate, manager, label. Uh, that's actually a, a well-worn trope in the uh, music industry. And then finally, we're gonna we're gonna end with uh, uh, Christian giving us a, a walk through hip hop diss tracks uh, throughout history. So, what are some of the? Uh, I mean, it, it's funny, like punk, metal, um, those two genres, uh, particularly punk, which is is sort of predicated on. Uh, <laughs> those two words, uh, fuck you. Um, you know, it's a whole genre predicated on, on that, uh, sentiment, but, um, what are some of the other sort of classics that you can think of that are sort of general, you know, not aimed at a particular person, not aimed at a particular subject, not, you know, you left me, you broke my heart. I'm going to, you know, I want, I want you to die kind of fuck you, but just a general, you know, mouth <laughs> Cap- captures the the oeuvre of, uh, of of punk. Yeah, I mean, I think you know that's to, like to your point. Basically, you know, punk started out as a as you know sort of a reactionary um, like you know youth sort of movement, basically uh, in, in music. But I mean, you know, it's it, it, the entire culture is sort of based on a fuck you. I'm going to do what I want, and you know, you can't tell me what to do. Um, so with that, I think it would be appropriate to start off with. Uh, with fear, um, because of course they have one of the most antagonistic frontmen in history in leaving. Um, and for anybody out there who hasn't seen the decline of Western civilization, um, it is totally awesome watching this guy perform because he is just like he will just get up and gin up an audience for for you know ten minutes first, just uh, just berating them um, and uh, getting bottles thrown at him and spit at and everything. Um, so I, I thought I would start out with the uh, the old fear ditty. I don't care about you. Fuck you. Yeah, it's it's uh, you can't put it more succinctly than that. <laughs> Lee Lee Ving yeah. was a, was a master of word economy. He was and, yeah, uh, up, up with sort of John Donne and and uh, Shakespeare and those guys. I think. E. e. Cummings. I don't think he used caps, I, or maybe it was the anti E. e. Cummings and, and used all caps. But the funny thing about those guys is, you know, they were you could never really figure out if they were all in, you know, just there to be antagonistic or they were, you know, it would just happen to be his, you know, his personality. But it, uh, in, in addition to uh, Decline of Western Civilization, you owe it to yourself to go to YouTube and check out the uh, Saturday Night Live uh, clip of fear, uh, 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 an appearance that l- truly nearly almost took the show off the air. So um, I uh, believe there's a, there's a great story behind that too, which is that, you know, so this was, of course, Jim Belushi's favorite band. John, um, John Belushi. John, Jesus, sorry. Um, I wouldn't yeah, ordinarily not- <laughs> correct you, but in this case, I have it's to. It's an important <laughs> distinction that uh, the guy from sitcom, according to Jim, was not the person I'm talking about, John Belushi. Um, yeah, that's a, that points out the, the generation gap here, I think. Um, no, but it, Fear was like his favorite band, and there's uh, there's another great uh, punk doc, uh, Salad Days, about about the development of like DC hardcore, and... Um, 
And Ian McKay basically said they got a phone call sort of with six hours, you know, T-minus six hours until showtime, that if they could pack as many of their friends into vans and drive up to New York, they could be on SNL um, because they needed a mosh pit. Uh, so in the opening, uh, opening sequence there, when they start to play, you see some bald-headed guys sort of take a long, winding sort of... Uh, uh, round about the audience and just come charging across the stage and sort of leap across it. And that, of course, is, uh, is old Ian McKay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, they were, it's, but, you know, like, again, this is sort of, uh, you know, there's a, there are a gazillion fuck you songs uh, from that era of punk. Um, I, I think Fuck You by DOA, which uh, I think the core, you know, I remember the chorus being, we don't care what you say, we don't care what you say, we don't care what you say, fuck you. Um, <laughs> another, you know, uh, another poet, uh, is born, but, um, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, scattered throughout like, you know, different genres, I guess. Uh, like I said, there's, a, there's a lot of metal songs that have really strong, um, fuck you messages. And, you know, um, one of the, you know, what are the other ones? I mean, you got another thing coming by Judas Priest. I can't think of what that is. It, it is particularly aimed at, except you know, don't don't screw around with me. Um, keep it out of my face by Mud Honey. And I guess Arguably, a, all of the the Motorhead um, catalog is sort of you know, or at least half of it is probably dedicated toward that sort of general uh, general mood. But it, it's sort of a it's a, like a malig a personal malignancy uh, thing. Really, it's not. Uh, again, it's not particular to you know, in a you know a relationship or anything else it's it's just dissatisfaction incarnate and it's it's kind of a great uh subgenre of the fu song um do you have anything th- to go ahead yeah the, uh, well no i would just i would end, i think we got you know the, the one last one i would toss out there i think is uh you know there is another sort of variation on this theme which is i like to party and do what i want uh Fuck you, don't judge me. Um, which I think sort of falls, you know, it's it's a it's it builds on on DOA and Fear's um, legacy, I think. But but so you know, take a band like Fiddler, who have uh, that great song "Cheap Beer," which um, you know the chorus is "I drink cheap beer, so what? Fuck you." Another great. Uh, again, these this is, these are all Dylan disciples. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and. So. Uh, but uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, then there's the sort of, you know, we're we're sort of moving towards the because uh, when when I first brought up this topic, um, you know, I think it was your um, assertion or your first inclination to go with, you know, the sort of punk rock um, yeah. general statement of uh, antipathy kind of thing. Whereas my first, um, and I think Jeremy's too, and I'll speak it uh, for him in his absence. Um, but you know, his first. Uh, remark was oh all of rumors um, so yeah. uh, you know it, it, it's sort of t- opposite ends of the spectrum but at the same time it's you know it's just a matter of um again you know hearkening back to the to the great um to the pen of leaving or um mark arm uh it's you know it, you, you, they're they're just slightly more um you know sort of uh fussed over versions of of the same sentiment um you know and and that takes us i guess to fuck you friend which is a a, a, the gateway to fuck you girlfriend boyfriend or spouse but fuck you friend there's a few uh, really good ones that you know this is almost like the hip-hop diss track of of uh classic rock and alt rock yeah Uh, you know it's a um i would say Fuck you, friends. Sort of, you know, one of my favorite, and then I always refer to these guys as the band I hate to love, but uh, not if you were the last junkie on earth by the Dandy Warhols. Really good song, um, very funny, uh, and that amazing, amazing chorus of "I never thought you'd be a junkie because heroin is so passe." Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> it's a very like, it's such a great, great line. Down. It God, is. I, I hate to like those guys, um, yeah. but they do have some really good songs, and. Um, you know that, that the funny backstory on that one too is I remember uh, at the time I couldn't remember which one was David Chappelle and which one was David LaChapelle, but David LaChapelle uh, was charged with. Um, I, I think actually this signals the end of the video era. Is uh, I believe they spent like three quarters of a million dollars making the video for not if you were the last junkie on earth, <laughs> and the record company was banking on them being a lot bigger than they were. 
Um, but David yeah. David LaChapelle um, turned this into like this. It was a, you have to see the video. It's a, you know it's it's funny in its own uh, excess. But there's a lot of dancing syringe like ballet dancing syringes on a on a rotating stage and um, all this you know sort of drug paraphernalia um, anthropomorphized. Um, oh, nice. I actually don't think I've seen that. I got to check it uh, out. Oh, David LaChapelle was famous. Uh, you know, he was a uh, photographer at first and like a fashion photographer, but he was famous Major for sort music of video guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, no. He was really a fashion photographer first. That was one of the. That might have been the one of the first uh, things he directed as a. Um, you know, uh, video itself, but he was famous for like making these very candy colored pictures. It was like, um, you know, really tarting up anything, um, you know, bright colors, candy colors and sparkles and, you know, people riding unicorns and shit. And, um, so that aesthetic was brought to this video. Anyway, that's probably a lot of time to spend on um, the Dandy Warhols. Dandy Warhol video. Well, I have, I have, check I have it one, out. I have one more point to make then before we before we move off the uh, the Dandy Warhol sort of um, topic here. I think there was a response to this song, which was not if you were the last dandy on earth, um, which is actually a, a song written by Matt Hollywood of the Brian Jonestown Massacre, who curiously sort of insists sometimes that it's not really about them um but of course i think he forgets that their name is actually in the title of the song yeah um, i believe, so. I, believe this, <laughs> I think this might qualify as the wussiest beef on earth um, yes it is, it is, it is the know, biggest unless, pillow fight of uh band rivalries and, like, unless views. like paul davis and, and david gates of bread had like a you know slap fight back in the 70s i think we're i think we're dealing with the most naff like you know yeah. purse swinging uh, Which, by the way, is beautifully captured in the documentary Dig. So yeah, oh, I love checking that. that out too. Yeah, and actually, the the other one that I wanted to bring up because I and then I love this song so much, but um, the Rat by the Walkman, which I always took to be a sort of like "fuck you, friend" kind of thing, and I don't know, I never really questioned my own uh, um, interpretation of that until we started talking earlier. Uh, yeah, putting this outline we, together, and and I, you were you like, started, what? Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you sent it over, and it was like, uh, I mean, I guess I I understood where you were coming from, um, you know, uh, just given the opening couple lines, but um, I, my, my interpretation of this song was like, uh, was really that, that he had sort of become the rat. He had gone subterranean as a result of basically being blown off or broken up with or screwed by his friend. Um, you know, when he's saying like, uh, you know, he only goes out alone, like that kind of stuff. It, it just sort of, it seemed to me, and like, you know, can't you hear me now? Can't you see me now? Um, that he'd sort of become this like invisible uh, rodent, which also has like a very sort of like New York City gritty quality to it, um, which I think they definitely capture well here. Awesome pump up song, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, well, I was going like to say, I was favorites, favorites, like, I think I was too busy screaming along and banging the, you know, yeah, pounding the roof of your car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To, uh, actually interpret. The, uh, the lyrics and, and I'm happy to leave it alone and, and leave it to everyone's own interpretation. Um, I'm with I, you. I like the I, idea that it, it's both, you know, it's still one of my, I think it's one of the best rock songs there is. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the best, uh, drumming clinics I've ever seen live. Oh so, my God. yeah, that guy just, I, you know, it's amazing. He doesn't just waste away given how, how much work he's doing on stage. I, I will say that I, you know, when I think back to seeing the Walkman live, um, that and that is the bounciest drum stool I've ever seen in my life. It looks like he's on a hippity hop, which you probably don't know what that is, but he looks like he's on I a bouncy not. on a bouncy toy of some sort uh, when he's playing the drums. It was like he, the guy oh, got air, sick. yeah. Um, the guy caught air when he was playing. Anyway, um, the the other thing I wanted to say about the the rat um, by the Walkman was that it's you know obviously it borrows the first line from the master of of uh, the fuck you uh, girlfriend uh, you broke my heart song, which is um, Bob Dylan's Positively Four Street. I mean you've got a lot of nerve. Um, is you know it's it's a borrowed line. It can't be accident. It by no means is accidental. So I, I kind of figured that's actually why I kind of thought it was maybe, and that's why I you know made the assumption that it was a fuck you friend thing because um, I the the continuation of that line to me is always you've got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend. Um, so I guess I we don't really agree on the fact that there's this is basically a song built on loathing, and the question is like is the 
to whom? Well, we, we agree. It's, yeah, it's loathing that is both outward-facing and inward-facing. But then I guess the real question is, who's the rat here? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're really debating. Yeah. Well, the, the, the other, the last song in this section, I think, is... Uh, well, I've um, actually, uh, I've, got, I've got one, uh, one here, which is, um, I just, I have to throw in my, my weekly minor threat reference, um, which, is, uh, which is a filler. Um, this is like, you know, this is the ultimate, uh, ultimate sort of betrayal uh, category stuff where, you know, he thinks his friend has sort of blown him off and, and, um, and you know, no longer sort of subscribes to his straight edge style of living or whatever. Um, and, you know, he's poisoning his mind and all this stuff. Um, and I sort of like to think of that meow, as being meow, paired. Meow. Right, and I sort of like to think of that as being paired with Fiddler's Cheap Beer. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good is, twofer. Yeah, it is, actually. It's a good one-two punch. I think that's going on a playlist somewhere at some point. That's like, a, yeah, it's like watching a double feature of The Exorcist and Touched by an Angel or something yeah. like that, you know? Um, the last one I had listed in this category, which is sort of uh, unambiguous, um, I think, and a favorite of both of ours, is uh, Uncle Fucker from... Oh. Uh, why don't, why don't you shut your fucking face, Uncle Fucker? Yeah, I mean it's just a, it's a great fuck you song, and um, you know it's a, it is all all of these in one. It's a you know I think uh, you know fuck you to your lover, fuck you to your friend, <laughs> fuck you to the world, and shut, I'll just leave you on the line. Shut your fucking face, Uncle Fucker. Um, so with yeah. That- yeah, I think uh, I think we should we should take a break there and let let the good people uh, let our let our listeners actually enjoy that song. All right. podcast which of course tonight is a brother brother podcast but um you know like i said before when uh, we first started throwing around the idea of doing a, a fuck you songs podcast um you know taking the temperature of the nation and and um you know again christian's first inclination was going punk my first inclination was going to the uh you know, whatever the antithesis of a love song is, it's uh, it's the breakup song. It's the. I think this is a reflection uh, of your maturity, Wyndham. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, a different uh, stage uh, in your life, so less yeah. less you know more distant from the from the pent up teen angst uh, aggression of uh, of punk rock. Well, let's say I haven't had a breakup in about close to thirty years either. So well, that's true. Um, uh, but yeah, I think there's. I mean, so many of these songs, and these are some of my most, you know, some of my favorite songs, and some of the most cutting songs and some of the most well-written songs. I think it really, you know, there's an incisiveness um, and a, uh, um, well, I mean, obviously there, there's a catharsis, but there's a, there's an incisiveness to, to knowing um, the person so intimately that you are um, uh, you're railing against, that you're, you know, sort of uh, writing an act of defiance against. So, you know, it starts off, you know, uh, back in the, I mean, back in the 60s, I'm sure there are earlier, um, you know, certainly a lot of blues tunes, but like, you know, from in the rock and roll canon, um, you know, things like Get Off My Cloud by the Stones, uh, but then, you know, Bob Dylan sort of revolutionized the whole thing, um, Positively Four Street, Idiot Wind, Like a Rolling Stone, um, Don't Think Twice. I mean, actually, now that I think about it, I don't, I mean, it, we, it's easier to list the Bob Dylan songs that aren't uh, full of loathing and anger towards uh, somebody and most likely a woman. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I don't know, you know, what your thoughts were on, on this particular uh, vein, but there was, you know, given my uh, 70s obsession, um, you know, my upbringing, I did spend a lot of time um, post uh, uh, 
I guess our parents' divorce, um, our father's divorce from my mother, um, listening to uh, Carly Simon's greatest hits in uh, in my mom's van, and uh, you're so vain. Uh, oh, it's it was an always, awesome one. It was always such a great. I mean, it's such a smart diss track. Um, it's it's like I don't know. It lays it all out there. It's a really smart, well written song, but it it's also a trap. It's awesome. It is. <laughs> it's, it's like I, I know who this is about. Yeah, um, exactly. Which was then, of baby. course, the subject of, yeah, exactly. It was... Uh, 40 was, years, 45 years of, of, you know, I mean, this was a bigger mystery than, than who, who Deep Throat was um, and, and Watergate. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a, uh, I just think that's a, I think it's a classic. There's a, there's a bunch from back then. There's a lot of pain and, and misery in the 70s. Um, so, uh, but, it, you know, all culminating with, um, you know, Fleetwood Mac's, Rumors, which uh, is top to bottom, um, a, a breakup album, but it's like, you know, if you do the math, and I'm not very good at that, there's five people in that band, all of whom, you know, but there were about How many permutations six, of marriages were there in there. Yeah, 16 <laughs> breakups. Like, we'll, we'll get Stephen Hawking on the pod at some point to figure out, yeah, uh, exactly. you know, how many people broke up with how many people in that band. But every song that was written on that album seems to, uh, you know, have that common thread of, you know, it, it, and they're all great songs. I mean, Jeremy would, who isn't here tonight, but he would describe that as the perfect album. He refers to albums where he likes every song as rumor albums. Um, what Does a, he really? Yeah, I don't think I've yeah. heard him say that before. That's oh, yeah. pretty funny. Or maybe I have, and I just didn't understand the reference. I was like, all right, okay. Um, uh, but well, that's pretty yeah. funny. Yeah, every single one of those songs is is great, and you know, there's something about you know, there, and again, this is all you know, some sort of math science kind of thing, but it's like E equals breakup plus cocaine um, equals great fucking breakup song from the seventies. Um, but what are some of the other? Uh, actually, there's a. It, well, so uh, I've, I've always enjoyed the uh, I've always enjoyed the sort of playful duet fuck yous, which which I think you know I love can. Those. Um, yeah, it can be found in uh, uh, in country and and you know one of the the truly sort of great uh, great duos who did this were you know obviously um, Johnny and uh, June Carter Cash um, and uh, so Jackson's a good example of that. I mean, I know you, you tossed that out there. I I personally love long legged guitar picking man. Um, oh yeah, which is like which, I mean, which is just so damn funny, um, but you know, and this is it, it is a little more playful because obviously they're up on stage together, so. You get the feeling that at least there's some kind of uh, resolution there that's that's already taken place. Um, but I think the uh, the you know the gold sticker here um, goes to uh, goes to Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty for "You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly," uh, which is which is a real classic. So that's a, that is one of the most beautiful titles <laughs> yeah. in the history of music. Period. It's uh, so good, and it, it, the whole the whole song is just building toward. It's like you know, you're the reason that that we live in a shitty house. You're the reason that we you know have to hang our clothes on a line outside. And then he just, or, and then she finally just ends with, "You're the reason our kids are ugly." Done, done, and done. Yeah, yeah. You can't really one up past that. It's like that's <laughs> the end of the conversation. Actually, yeah. That's that is that is that is only followed by a door slam. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is the which is the mic drop of uh, of divorces. Um, so. oh, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a mic drop in the holler. Yeah, um, but yeah, I just wanted to run through a couple. Just to, uh, one, you know, there's a uh, bunch of folks. Uh, Dylan, I mentioned, um, uh, oh. obviously Fleetwood Mac rumors, but there's a couple of you know artists that are so prolific with the um, you know, with this sentiment of, of having somebody, having been wronged by somebody and, and, you know, these, I guess it's a sort of a whole grudge holders. Yeah. Uh, but Husker Du has an alarming number of songs that are, are aimed at, um, a former partner, lover, you know, band member, uh, whatever. (laughs) Um, they're just good at it. And, uh, You know, I think of I Apologize, I Don't Want to Know If You Are Lonely, which is another one of my favorite album. I mean, song titles uh, in history. Um, Never Talking to You Again. I mean, they're just loaded with uh, with uh, vitriol towards somebody. Um, and it's actually both guys. I mean, Grant Hart writes a lot of, um, you, 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 you know, fuck you, you screwed me songs. And Bob Mould is, is, you know, a master of them as well. So you had two within the same uh, source at that point. 
No, I think that's uh, that's absolutely right. I mean, they um, they were they were definitely sort of uh, you know some of the best in the category. Um, I, I thought you were going to go straight to uh, to I know your your Canadian obsession who you've um, who you've brought up in almost every yeah, podcast that we've done thus far, which just like I, really surprises me until totally out of the blue. A uh, a friend of mine yesterday was uh, was actually talking to me about the the radio podcast that we did last week, and we were sort of reminiscing back and forth about some of the um, you know some of the old stuff that we used to hear in the nineties, and and he said you know yeah I used to I used to totally rock out to like anything off Jagged Little Pill, and uh, and I thought it was so embarrassing at the time, but you know what that album's really stood up. So <laughs> Wyndham, without uh, without further ado, you ought to know by Alanis Morissette. Which, um, you know, much like Carly Simon's "You're So Vain," uh, you know, sent people scattering to to figure out who she'd written that about. And there was a lot of uh, time and effort spent trying to figure out who she'd written about. And, and sadly, the most Canadian thing about the entire song is that it was written about um, what's the guy's name? Uh, that would be Dave Coulier. Yes. Full House. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that was uh, apparently the guy that wasn't John Stamos or Bob Saget that was on that show. So, um, yeah. if you'd like any of the other actors' names from that show, please just uh, just let me know. I'm an expert. Yeah, I, I actually didn't. I, you know, it was one of those shows that was on for like nine years, and I was like, "Who the fuck watches this show?" And I've come to find out that it was my brother. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then there's you know, I mean, there's a whole other subsect section of this group that I think it, you know uses humor really well. And and again, this isn't going to be an exhaustive list, but um, Stutter by Elastica is she really going out with them by Joe Jackson? Um, Smile by Lily Allen, and then of course the one that just nails the the thing on its head and and uh, name checks our uh, our topic this week is you know fuck you by CeeLo, um, obviously written by uh, Bruno Mars, but that's a great song. I mean, who thought of turning like the sunniest ditty on earth into uh, a song called fuck you? It's pretty brilliant. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a there's a great uh, great opportunity to. to you know, talk about songs at some point that are like have this incredible sort of sunny disposition musically, um, but are juxtaposed with just harsh, crushing lyrics. Um, well, smile by Lily Allen kind of the same way, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, a, a slightly different topic, but um, or, or slightly different. I guess it's it's uh, all of that hatred turned inwards. Um, but but you know, Elliot Smith. Um, the entire has catalog, a, has a ton of tunes <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. He's the, um, the so. Husker Du of inward hate. Um, or is uh, yeah, or like you know the Smiths, which are like you know uh, songs about self-loathing that you can dance to. Yeah, I, um, I'm a rock so. by Sam and Garfunkel. It's sort of like I hate you, but you can do nothing to me. Or you're breaking my heart by Harry Nielsen, which is a classic. I think uh, you know Harry Nielsen, you're breaking my heart, you're tearing it apart. So fuck you. Uh, but all the while, it sounds like the jokes on Harry, not the person who told him to piss off. Um, and those are, you know, that's another thing. But um, you want to so I, go ahead? I would toss out, yeah, I would toss out the last two for me, I think, would be Cry Me a River um, by Justin Timberlake, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Great song. You know, I think that's a, yeah, it's terrific. And it's just a, it's no, I'm not going to pity you. Um, and I'm I'm done with this. Um, Brittany. I think that's a, Brittany. Brittany. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, we can, we can now spend, we can now spend the next six minutes just, just saying Brittany back and forth, um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, the last one I have to throw out there, because this really is for me, like, this is the ultimate vengeful shithead, uh, post-breakup song, and who other than Steve Albini to write it, um, but Shellac's song, Prayer to God, uh, is... So incredibly good. Um, I, I I really can't, uh, like, okay, so basically it's a guy who's saying it is his prayer to a God that he doesn't believe in um, to violently kill uh, his ex-girlfriend or wife and, um, and new lover. Um, and uh, I think, you know, lines like... Um, uh, lines like, just, just fucking kill him. I don't care if it hurts. Yes, I do. I want it to fucking kill him but kill her first but it's um, it's the universality <laughs> of that sentiment that really i think yeah, exactly made that a number right. one hit um no i think that's right but it is it's an awesome song and they, i mean they play it at most of their shows and by the way shellac shows are a ton of fun so um i saw these guys over like last thanksgiving when i was back home in dc um just looked up like what was playing you know tonight at the black cat and i was like oh my god i lucked out so 
Yeah, well, that's holiday music for you. Anyway, um, <laughs> we celebrate in the Lewis family. Yeah, do you want to take a quick break and come back? Yeah, it sounds good. Okay. To the one true God above, here is my prayer. Not the first you've heard, but the first I wrote. Not the first, but the others were alive. To the base of her neck Where her necklace is closed Where her garments come together Where I used to lay my face That's where you ought to kill her In that particular place Him just fucking kill him I don't care if it hurts Yes I do I wanted to fucking kill him, but first make him cry like a woman. No particular woman. Let him hold out, hold that. Someone or other might come and fucking kill him. Fucking kill him. Kill him already. Kill him. All right, welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, tonight we are talking fuck you songs, and there's a uh, there's a whole uh, again sub genre within the fuck you song of um, songs directed at uh, uh, former bandmates after a breakup, um, former managers after getting screwed, or former labels again after getting screwed, um, and it's it's actually a pretty rich history. I mean, it, uh, and it, again, I by no means uh, think of this as being an exhaustive list, but just a few that came to mind when. We started talking about this. Um, first one that came to mind was uh, "How Do You Sleep," uh, John Lennon's really his, his only real the classic, you know, sort of outward hostility towards uh, his former bandmate. And um, but it was, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty it's pretty cutting and and uh, um, you know it, again it. it there's a whole, you know, you let your imagination run wild. You always wonder, and I read a lot of rock books, uh, Christian, I think, does as well. Um, Jeremy, I know, does too. Uh, and you wonder, like, you know, sometimes you can you get the history of, of what happened, but sometimes um, for a long time you didn't. And so this was, you know, this was the sort of, um, I guess, the uh, uh, their way of giving you a, a very brief history lesson on, on what happened. Um, the ne- the other the next one I was thinking was uh, Vance Can't Dance, which um, is John Fogarty's. Yeah, what was the story behind this? I actually, I saw you put this on a list, and I, I wasn't familiar with it. Was that the was this label based? Yeah, well, John Fogarty, uh, Credence, Clearwater Revival. They get screwed. Yeah, right? they get royally screwed. Um, to, to, I actually uh, met somebody who used to work for Saul Zance, and Vance Can't Dance is about Saul Zance. Um, it is. It rhymes because they were afraid of litigation from Saul Zance. Actually, the original song was called Zance Can't Dance, um, but they changed the uh, the name just because the guy was particularly litigious. But I actually met a guy that worked with Saul Zance, and he claims, and you know, I I have no idea of of no ability to verify this or not, but he claims that even when Saul Zance gave Credence their first contract, he's like, you know. You guys, this is not, you know, this is very favorable for me. And they were like, whatever. Um, you know, I think like a lot of young bands back in the day, they uh, they signed over a lot more than they should have. And uh, Saul Zance was not a record label guy. He was a he was a businessman, and he was a movie. He produced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and a lot of uh, movies. Um, but he got very very wealthy on Creedence Clearwater Revival, largely because nobody in Creedence got um, wealthy off of Creedence. Uh, it also was the uh, divide that really um, sent John Fogarty and his brother and, uh, into a lifelong feud to the point where uh, Tom, uh, Tom Fogarty, the Fogarty's brother, um, when John Fogarty came to his deathbed, apparently, um, he still told him to fuck off. So uh, nice. yeah, there's some deep, there's some deep stuff there. It's it's pretty ugly. Hey, we found somebody who can hold a grudge longer than you in them. <laughs> exactly. Um, speaking of grudges uh, that weren't held, uh, Freed Pig, 
by Sebado, a song about uh, um, <laughs> song about just, dinosaur. And uh, I'm sorry, I just I start laughing every single time I like I see or hear that title. Yeah. Um, because it's just like if you're if you're Luke Barlow and you're gonna you know and you're writing a song about Jay Mask, it's it's like it's just such a dick thing. To say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, and it, apparently it didn't last like uh, like all grudges that. Um, you know, I don't, or uh, Tom Fogarty doesn't hold, it doesn't go to your grave with you. So Yeah, which is not to say that they are friendly or actually speak, or there's any evidence of, like, camaraderie there. Yeah. <laughs> it's more just that they play together again. Yeah, there's some really um, good, there's some great label, um, there's some great, you know, sort of FU songs to labels. I, you know, just list them out. Uh, Denmark Street by The Kinks is about the industry. Uh, it Ain't Gonna Suck Itself by Cracker. Um, which actually name checks their label, their former label, Mercury Poisoning by Graham Parker and The Rumor. Uh, also oh, nice. name checks the uh, the label itself. Labels by uh, labels by Jizz's yep. got to be on that. You got it. Um, Metal Machine Music was a, a different kind of fu to a label. It was. Uh, uh, it was also just an fu to everyone. I think. <laughs> no, like, no, no, no. It was really, truly. He was supposed to finish out his. Apparently, I mean, and that, this is you know, he was Lou Reed was meant to finish out his contract. And um, was having label issues and put out Metal Machine Music as his final uh, album on on the particular uh, label that he was on. Um, if anybody's ever listened to that, it's unlistenable. Uh, yeah, um, you know, it's funny you say that I, because there are a couple other examples of this, and I'm blanking on them right now, which is, of course, no no good here. They may come to me in a minute. Well, but, Neil, um, Neil Young's This Note's For You. Uh, he did Trans, which was an electronic album. Um, in the early 80s that... Uh, but I think he was serious about that, wasn't he? Um, you know, that's debatable. I think uh, there was, you know, I remember... It sounds like a nice cover story for a guy who, like, suddenly, you know, feels the fucking spirit of, you know, uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer tingling in his bones. No, it was a weird... I remember when that album came out. I mean, he put that out and... Um, the uh, he put out like a like a '50s doo-wop kind of record out at the same time. Um, so weird. It, well, yeah, it was weird, but it also you know if I'd known so, if my, if, <laughs> just 12, cocaine. No, if 12, <laughs> like what are we? No, if twelve-year-old me had known, you know, had more deeper insight, you would have known that that was a uh, you know a big middle finger uh, to the to uh, whoever was holding the reins or holding him back from what he felt like he should be doing. Um, and you hear about all the. I mean, you hear about this with like people dropping mixtapes now. It happens more frequently, yep. I think, like in hip hop right now, just because. Well, Frank Ocean just did it. Basically, right? yeah. Basically, you can dump your last Def Jam, you know, get out of the contract and go out on your own. Yeah. Um, At some point, I want to do a, a, a pod segment on the the great albums that never happened. You know, the albums that were. Uh, unable to be recorded because of, you know, recording contract issues, you know, I mean, the Stone Roses and things, but that's a diversion that we don't need to go on right now. Um, yeah. What, uh, uh so we were, you had so a couple others. So we just wrapped up, I guess. Yeah, so we just wrapped up. Um, so I think on the same, on the on the label front, uh, a great one is, um, you know, Bob Marley's uh, tune, Small Axe, which was, you know, obviously like the the label that had sort of monopolized like reggae music and its export to the United States, which is the biggest market for it, um, by the 1970s was, um, was called big tree. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, you are the big tree and we are the small axe. And that was, uh, that's the chorus of that tune. Um, that's a great line. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of the, the launch of upstart records. Um, and, you know, his sort of taking the Jamaican music industry back. Well, that's when Island came over, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the other... I believe Upstart then fed into Island. Oh, okay. Yeah, the other one I actually forgot to to mention, and and this is sort of a great one, if you follow, um, you know, is the uh, Sex Pistols going into Public Image Limited, which is, you know, Sex Pistols uh, on Nevermind the Bullocks had a song called EMI, which is obviously a very pointed... uh, they were not. They were not celebrating no. their uh, their their label executives. And then they, you know, on their whatever their, yeah. their you know, the sort of aborted follow up uh, to uh, to that was a great rock and roll swindle, which never really was completed before they imploded. But the great rock and roll swindle itself, the song was, um, you know, sort of a, a roadmap through um, their various negotiations and their you know label stays and and blowing those things up. 
Uh, I remember the line being EMI says we're out of hand. So they gave us the boot, but that didn't stop. They couldn't stop us just like that. They're giving us the loot. And then it was thank you kindly A&M. You know, it was just uh, who said we were out of bounds, but that ain't bad for two weeks work and 75,000 pounds. Um, But but then, you know, it's funny because it sounds like uh, you you get to the greatest rock and roll swindle with the Sex Pistols and it sounds like they came out on top. Um, But immediately following that, you know, the the band implodes. Johnny Rotten, Johnny Lydon goes off and starts Public Image Limited and releases his first single, which is Public Image, um, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. But that basically you know, uh, is his lament of having been controlled by his manager and label. So, you know, the great rock and roll swindle, which was the big like, oh, yeah, we got away with one, you know, it turns out to be not so true when you cut, when the next song you come out with is basically, um, you know, a, a fuck you song to the people who uh, you just claimed uh, that you beat, but you didn't really beat. I did not realize that there was that lineage in those, uh, in those three tunes. Um, no, that's kind of cool. Um, so I guess, I guess, you know, pill got a little more, more thoughtful and, and introspective. Um, sex pistols was, was still really that sort of it was bracing theater. Yeah. It was largely yeah, theater. Exactly. But certainly, yeah, it certainly wasn't, um, musical virtuosity. No. Uh, great stuff though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely great yep. stuff. Anyway. So then, uh, I would say, I mean, I've, the last ones I've gotten this category i was thinking radio friendly unit shifter by nirvana which is like you know maybe kind of obsolete but like industry speak for um you know the the tunes that are uh that are sort of you know the right the right time at sort of maybe two and a half three and a half minutes somewhere around there um you know with with catchy hooks and choruses and that kind of stuff um and basically the the joke here is that the song is anything but yeah um so, um, you know, I think as Nirvana was, was always sort of, uh, was, you know, as is very well known, I mean, they were always sort of struggling with this, uh, with, you know, on, on celebrity and, and fame and success on the one hand, um, and, uh, and, you know, the sort of incredible, like, you know, blighted sadness that they were, at least that Kurt Cobain experienced when he was writing these lyrics anyway. So I think he sort of didn't know. And it was, I mean, we've talked about this before, like, that particular point in time, the early '90s, seemed to be like where, where sellout was just like the worst thing you could ever accuse somebody of being, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that these days, it's sort of like you know, if you make it, bad eh, people might just congratulate you. You know, it's not it's it, it's not the end of the world. I mean, it it doesn't no. have it doesn't carry the same sort of uh, uh, viciousness that it did. I think back then. No, and it, making money off of so, or looking like you were attempting to make money was the greatest crime. I mean, you get a song like Range Life by Pavement where they just sort of take down everybody they think of as being commercially viable. Um, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins or Stone Temple Pilots or whoever it was at the time. Um, you know, there was a real crime in, in attempting um, to be successful. Um, so it was a, a real... Uh, sort of catch-22 when it wasn't your the the sort of apex of your list of goals, and yet it happened, well, you know, like Nirvana. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's sort of the thing. Is like, and, the, and the ultimate, like, curmudgeon on this subject, by the way, um, is, of course, Steve Albini, um, who also wrote, you know, uh, the, the song that we talked about earlier, um, in Prayer to God. But, I mean, he was, he was the first guy, like, you know, Produces. He was the police. He, he was, and he was he was the arbiter of, of you know of mm-hmm. indie rock justice, I guess, or at least he saw himself that way. And, and certainly, you know, he just trashed the hell out of Nirvana and um, and uh, Urge Overkill and you know other bands that like he'd worked with early Try. on, and and uh, you know who who really obviously had commercial like yeah, there was still that ethos aspirations, of, yeah, of not making you know not wanting to. You know, sell not wanting to ruin the community or, or you know, anyway, the you know a lot of it was not within their control. I mean, a lot of the gold rush of of Seattle came after Nirvana, and you know, every and our person was up there, you know, signing. I mean, they they were signing bands with names like Grunge Truck, and you know, stupid shit like that. But it was it was damn it, it Grunge Truck is taken. <laughs> it was it was another time. Um, 
There might gunstruck.com might be available. Oh, all right. Um, yeah, we may be moving so, the podcast website from uh, from the brotherpod.com to gruntruck.com. We'll uh, we'll let you know. Um, but so yeah. then the last two that I wanted to mention quickly were uh, this is this is sort of like interband beef. Um, but uh, but you know Neil Young's Southern Man, which I guess wasn't really directed at anybody specific. Um, but Leonard Skinner decided to take it upon themselves to uh, to, to pen the retort in um, in Sweet Home Alabama, um, which is, and I hope Neil Young will remember, a Southern Man doesn't need him around anyhow. Um, so thank you, and off to your great white Arctic North. Yeah, great great songs, both of them. Yep. But um. Anyway, uh, keeping that sentiment, we are going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with Hip Hop Beefs. Back to the Brother 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 podcast tonight. We are talking fuck you songs, and uh, one of the sort of great veins of of fuck you songs in popular music is the hip hop diss track. And for the sake of our listeners, I am going to turn this over to Christian to explain and talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think. Uh, well, I appreciate that one. Um, no, I think the uh, the real you know to to start off um, the diss track has really become like. I mean, it, it's always awesome when these rap beefs break out, right? And particularly if it's between two really talented groups or between two really talented MCs, you just know that it's going to produce like just all this meaty, awesome uh, music. And so I think you know, basically, the the best way to deal with this is sort of in pairings. I mean, I'll start off by saying I think the song that really planted the flag for this, like the the originator, um, and you know, my my entry point to this. I'm sure that there were, um, it well. Uh, the entry point, let's just say, is is, uh, is the bridge is over by Boogie Down Productions, um, and you know that with with those like iconic, famous lines, you know, Manhattan keeps on making it, Brooklyn keeps on taking it, Bronx keeps creating it, and Queens keeps on faking it. Um, I think really, you know, it planted the flag, it set up the the basis of a lot of the. Um, or publicized the the geographic rivalries that existed um, in hip in hip hop at the time, um, and, you know, and and when and I were talking, I, I like. You said what that this probably wasn't the first one, and I I don't oh, know. No. I mean, it predates records. Yeah, certainly, exactly. So. I mean, it was so it was so organic and club driven at the time that I'm sure that you know the diss track precedes uh, this song. But I mean, that really that that is to me sort of where the where the the history, um, the the written history, we should say, begins. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, from there, I'd say you know just a, a couple other. I think let's see here that I think are worthy of, of uh, serious mention. Um, the first is uh, the feud between Cannabis and LL Cool J in the 90s. Now, second round KO by Cannabis came after he got, basically, he, he, wrote, a, um, he wrote a verse for one of uh, LL's songs um, for, his, uh, for, for an album in 96 and basically got cut out because he made fun of his giant right arm microphone tattoo um and uh in his in his initial diss track second round ko he does drop the uh the great line that 99 percent of your fans wear high heels um and is basically taking ll cool j to task for being you know like good looking and 
never wearing a shirt um, and basically, you know, selling something other than his uh, his acumen Gu- on the mic. Um, Guilty as charged. Yeah, well, and it's funny, when it, because I remember one time, uh, well, I think like last year or two years ago when we were listening to, um, what was, I guess it was Mama Said Knock You Out, and I was like, yeah. I kind of wrote him off before. I, I, you know, I like, I admit, it was just, it was a, it was an omission or like a, a blind spot for me, but, you know, you said that he was a well, big time, uh, time ghostwriter, right? Like, well, no, he was, yeah, that too, but he also, you know, I mean, he was a 16-year-old kid that came, you know, that bugged Def Jam until they put him on the on the label or, or listened to his stuff. I mean, this guy was, you know, was a legitimate, um, you know, foundational piece in the hip-hop world. And So, um, like, you're talking about you know, his pre-NCIS Las Vegas years. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. You probably <laughs> only know him, from, I mean, you probably originally know him from NCIS before, no. you know, that. And he was he was legitimate. I mean, it's the same with Ice Cube. I mean, these guys were, I mean, Ice-T. These guys were... All of them. Um, no, just Ice-T uh, is, is somebody who, you know, kids know as like a voiceover guy almost now. No, it's he's like, on um, SVU. Yeah, same. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? It's like that guy was the real shit. Uh, he was probably colors. as instrumental in... Yeah, Colors is a great song, but that was... You know, that was early, early West yeah. Coast, you know, rap or early, um, you know, the, one of the earlier renditions of that sort of gangster rap uh, yeah. thing. And um, so they're they're both, you know, like I said, sort of foundations in the uh, or, you know, foundational pieces in the history of hip hop, which it now seems it must seem funny to to younger people because they're they're now like, you know, pe- celebrities for like, a completely different reason. Yeah. Yeah. But they also just seem like nice dads. Yeah, that's right. Um, and but I mean, I, I think uh, so. You know, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the the like LL Cool J definitely had uh, had some had some teeth uh, back in the day. And uh, I think his his response to second round knockout, which was in Ripper Strikes Back, was um, you know to Cannabis's line: ninety nine percent of your fans wear high heels. Was, was just awesome. It was a great takedown, which is 99% of your fans don't exist. Um, so so I render, and in each of these, by the way, I'm going to offer my verdict on who won the rap battle. Um, uh, my verdict is that LL Cool J wins that. Um, yeah, I think by virtue of the fact that he's the one that people have heard of. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, although I will say, if, if you haven't heard of Cannabis, like... Uh, no, I know. I'm just he's kidding. A, he's a pretty pretty good MC, but he's sort of the MC's MC, which is another way of saying uh, poor and not famous. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, yes. from there... God bless the writer's writer. Yeah, exactly. Um, so from there, I think, uh, here's where I, I guess we should turn to, to NWA and, and Cube. Now... There are a lot of different beefs that I could pick out here, um, and some that involve uh, secondary and tertiary characters like Snoop Dogg, and and you know you can get into like Dre Day, and then uh, Snoop stuff with Suge Knight, who of course was um, producing some of NWA's later stuff. I think the core conflict here, though, and the one we really have to stick to, is is when Cube left NWA, um, at which point uh, NWA came out. Um, with, you know, the song Real N-Word. Um, and uh, this uh, infuriated Cube. Now, if you're going to pick a fight with somebody, Wyndham, um, and that person was the guy who wrote all of your lyrics, <laughs> um, maybe, you know, maybe don't do it so publicly. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would, uh, I never, you know, I never heard, um, uh, uh Edie Sedgwick's um, comeback to Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan, but I'm sure it wasn't as good as Like a Rolling Stone, put it that way. Yeah. Um, I think uh, in this case, you have um, you have Cube sitting on the other side of the country, you know, now living in New York, um, and listening to this, listening to this new, considerably lesser NWA album, by the way, um, and uh, thinking, boy, I should make a new album. And then he did. Um, a death certificate came out. And by the way, that is one of the most brutal, like track by track takedowns. Um, in ge- I mean, in general, it's just it's laced. Yeah, it's it's laced with this stuff. But um, the conclusion of that is the song "No Vaseline," which is just like, oh my god, it's it's just 
brutal. Like, I mean, it's, um, and it's, yeah, there isn't a wasted word in that track. No, there is not. Um, and I have to say that like my favorite part about it is the fact that every single time you think it's over and it will happen at least three times, it's not. <laughs> there's, there's, there are many, many more verses to come. Um, you think that it's like, okay, well, that's probably done then. He's probably said everything he needs to say. Um, and then it fires right back at you with another verse. So it's, it's pretty great. Um, the next feud, uh, which is, which is, I think, um, really sort of one of the centerpieces of, uh, of that geographic rivalry and, um, that I talked about in New York, uh, earlier is, is between Jay-Z and Nas. And I mean, this, this one's huge. It's very well publicized, very well known, but I mean, I think, um, this is one of the most, uh, sort of vicious, open, unresolved battles, um, uh, battles of the pen, um, and you know, and in, in Takeover, we've got, you know, um, well, uh, you know, Jay Z uh, basically does math, which is something that we've proven on this podcast before that we can't actually do. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, he says uh, like four albums in ten years. I could divide. That's one every. Let's say two. Two of them shits was due. Uh, one was nah, the other was Illmatic. That's one hot album every ten years average, um, which I love. Like, um, and you know, I, I think the the coolest part about this song is yeah, it's good. It sucks because it samples the Doors, um, but the best part about this was the fact that it actually gave Nas a much needed kick in the ass because of course Illmatic was amazing and pretty much uh, he'd sort of slumped since then. Um, so he actually fires back on his next album, which is Stillmatic, um, just teeming with rage i think um and so he opens with the vocal sample on ether uh which just says fuck jay-z um in this song in no particular order he calls jay-z a camel which is kind of funny um accuses uh, uh uh excuse me says uh eminem blew up jay-z on on the track renegade on the blueprint um and then of course does the one thing that you may never do in uh in in new york hip-hop history which is to evoke the legacy of biggie and question whether you are stealing his lyrics so um you know basically it, it you know hits all the major uh major tick boxes for um you know great hip-hop battle um i would say on this i have to give the edge to nas um though we thank jay-z for reigniting nas's career um, and then the last one, Wyndham, you were there for this. I obviously, I mean, not, mm-hmm. not actually at the, I wasn't actually <laughs> at the event. But... Yeah. Um, <laughs> the last one's Biggie and Tupac. You were not strictly speaking at either event for any police listening. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, who shot you and hit him up? What can you say? Everybody died after this. This is the real rap beef, not the one on paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a, uh. Yeah, nobody won that one. No, we all <laughs> lost, actually. We lost two of the best MCs that, you know, we had. So, um, but it was much more, it was, it's kind of interesting. I mean, if you think about the other stuff that I mentioned, it's like all of it's, you know, it's really metaphorical. It's, it's nasty. It's mean. It's rude about your mother and whatever else. But like when Biggie and Pac went at it, and I mean, they were friends first, but when they went at it, like it was gloves off. I'm going to kill you. I mean, it was like it got really personal and really violent in terms of the the imagery that they were using, um, and of course that scared the bejesus out of the FCC and everything else. But um, I mean, it really was like I think it took a turn in a way that like gangster rap was no longer um, it was no longer this sort of amorphous like NWA was always able to hide behind the fact that or not hide behind, but but at least uh, defend. It's no longer a fantasy. Yeah, yeah, they defended themselves by saying, "Look, we're telling the story how it is. We're we're describing what we it, see. We're interpreters. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're yeah, exactly. Um, this is part of the the oral tradition, whatever. Um, these two guys were saying, "No, I'm coming after you," and then they would actually follow up. I mean, it was like it was pretty intense, and I can't. I can only imagine that like watching that drama unfold in real time must have been kind of crazy. It, you know what? I don't think anybody. I mean, you know, I didn't have anything close enough to to uh, the source to you know to actually have any you know real feeling for it. But I, you know, nobody. I don't think anybody. You know, I think it was another case of people thinking like, ah, yeah, that. I don't think it was Never taken that happen. seriously until yeah. somebody got killed. But I mean, that even nuts. then, there's like. Yeah, and then, I mean, the fact that there were repercussions and it was so obviously connected, you know what I mean? It, it just sort of, it, mm-hmm. it, that that sort of unresolved who who done it 
quality is. Yeah, the shit got when the shit got real. It got it got real fast, and um, yeah, it was it was it was frightening. It was hard to it was hard to believe that you know this stuff had sort of you know metastasized exited the well exited the realm of of you know fiction and and sort of comic book hero type stuff and and entered the world of actual true crime. So it was it was nuts. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, you know you could you could draw. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think the the entire the entire rap world sort of uh, needed to brace itself a little bit or, or recover from that. So there, it seemed like the the tone shifted to a pretty poppy, lighthearted, uh, realigned stuff after that. Yeah, um, yeah. It was sort of like you know, it was a, it was you could you know clock it from you know the minute NWA showed up on on the scene, everybody had to get a little harder. And then you know when the shit got real and people started getting killed, everything kind of had to. You know, everybody had to pump the brakes a bit, and, um, and you know, and I think those are that, seismic shifts in the industry. And we can, I guess, we can thank that particular beef for the emergence of like Ja Rule. Um, <laughs> God. Yeah. Um, well, so I think that pretty much uh, that rounds out my, you know, my rap beefs. And and um, Wyndham, if, if are you are you going to declare any beefs this year? Um, I may. I'm I'm waiting to see uh, what goes on. Uh, this week and next, but I will say that I, I feel a little bit better, uh, a little less tense after um, at least vicariously living through some of these people's uh, vitriol and, and uh, vengeance. But um, it certainly brought you know, a, it brought a smile to my face. I will, I will say. Yeah, there's still time to get angry again. Oh well, thank goodness for that. Um, Within the next 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. With that. Anyway, hey, good talking to you, and um, we will see you next time. Yeah, this was fun. Later. That's it for today's episode of the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and drop us a line at brotherpod.com. Thanks very much to Damien Kendall for producing, and from Wyndham, Jeremy, and Christian, see you next time.